Luke 2, verses 25 through 32. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For mine eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and for glory to your people Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Please join with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you that you have shown the light of your great glory in the presence of all peoples through the birth of your Son, Jesus Christ. Our eyes have seen the salvation which you have prepared for us, a light that you have revealed to the nations and for the glory of your people. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Thank you, Tim and Christy. Uh, Before we dig into that passage, I want to take just a second, a couple of seconds maybe, for a couple of housekeeping items to update you on. Uh, First, last week was our first hopefully annual, Christmas offering. We spent a a good bit of time talking about that and uh, asking you to give above and beyond your normal, regular giving here at Christ Church to help uh, care for the refugee crisis uh, over across the Atlantic and also to help Christ Church in 2016 uh, partially fund a new staff position for a director of worship and arts. And uh, so far, we've raised almost about 17, between 17 and $18,000 for that. So let's give ourselves a hand. That's excellent. That's basically another month of giving at Christ Church. Um, so thank you very much. We'd set a goal of 22000 um, and we're almost to the goal. You can continue to give to that through the end of the year. But I'm just so thankful and so pleased with the response that you have made to this offering. Uh, so that's a very significant thing. So I want to express, as the pastor of this church, my appreciation for you, for your willingness to sacrifice during the Christmas season to give and uh, to help support the vision and mission of Christ Church. So thank you for that. That's a wonderful thing for us to celebrate together. Secondly, regarding that director of worship and arts position, we are currently in the process of looking at a couple of different candidates. I would ask you to pray for us as we consider that. We'd love to have someone in place in January. Um, Once we have a little bit more information and have a little bit more clarity on where we are in that process, I'll talk to the congregation about it, put something on the city and announce that. But we are, that is in the works, just so you know, you're not giving to something. I'm not just kind of forgetting about it. Uh, That is in the works and uh, we are praying and asking that God would make it clear what his will is for us in that. Um, So thank you. Thank you again for your support and for giving to the Christmas offering this year. Okay, uh, with that said, let's jump into this passage. Tim and Christy read for us from Luke chapter 2. And uh, as we open up and take a look at the ideas presented here in this part of God's word together, I want to start by having us think about this. Um, I know this is going to be irrelevant for some of you, but in 2004, in October of 2004, a very significant event occurred in the life of baseball fans. The Boston Red Sox, 86 years 
since their last World Series championship were in the American League Championship Series against their arch rivals, the New York Yankees. And they were down three games to none in a best-of-seven series. And they were able, by some small sports miracle, to win four consecutive games. It was the first time that had ever happened in a series where a team had won four straight after being down 3 nothing and advanced to the World Series where they won against the National League team and won their first World Series in 86 years. It was a pretty big deal for fans in the New England area, for Red Sox fans, and for baseball fans in general. There was what has been called the curse of the Bambino, which had apparently been applied to the Boston Red Sox when they traded away possibly the greatest baseball player of all time, Babe Ruth. They traded him to the New York Yankees just after World War I, and since they had made that trade, they had not won a World Series. But in 2004, they were able to get over the hump and win their first World Series in almost a century. One very well-known sports writer who's from the Boston area wrote a book on that 2004 Red Sox team, and the title of the book was Now I Can Die in Peace. (laughs) I know, sports fans are crazy. Now I Can Die in Peace. It comes actually from this passage. I doubt that he actually knew that it came from this passage, but the title of the book is Now I Can Die in Peace, and the reason he wrote the book and used that title is because as sports fans, you, you might understand what it's like to have to wait, to have to wait for glory to come to your team again, or if you're like a Browns fan maybe, to wait for your glory for the first time to come to your team. So we're used as sports fans to having to to wait, to having to uh, anticipate. Maybe it's going to be this season. Maybe things are going to go well. Maybe we can win it all this year. Waiting. Waiting is a big idea and really a big part of most of our lives, whether we realize it or not, whether we're waiting for sports or something much more significant. And part of what the Christian faith claims is that really in all of our waiting, as human beings, in all of the things that we are longing for and expectant for, the only person, the only event, the only thing that can really fill the longing in our hearts is is God himself. And actually part of the Christmas story is about you and I waiting, waiting for God, expecting God to arrive. Christmas is a time of joy, Christmas is a time of celebration, but it's also a time of waiting. It's also a time of expectation. The Christmas story is about God coming to us in our expectation and rescuing us. And so we want to spend a couple of minutes this morning thinking about that idea through the lens of this ancient song sung by this old guy that had been a faithful member of the Jewish temple in Jerusalem for his entire life, sung by him in Luke chapter 2, verses 29 through 32. This man's name is Simeon. And as we see in the passage, he has been waiting for his entire life for God to appear and rescue him and rescue his people. And it's really quite a powerful song that I want us to focus on this morning. And to divide up our thinking, let me give you three points that will outline the message for you. Simeon's song really is about these things. It's all about the appearing of Jesus. And really, there's three things about Jesus that we can learn. Jesus is consolation, Jesus is salvation, and Jesus is light. Jesus is consolation, Jesus is salvation, and Jesus is light. So let's jump in and look and see what God has for us this morning. The first thing we see in Simeon's story and in Simeon's song is that Jesus, the one that we have all been waiting for, is consolation. We see that it was read beginning there in verse 25 that 
Mary and Joseph, Jesus' mom and dad, have taken Jesus to the temple to present him to the Lord. They're doing this to fulfill part of the Old Testament law. And in the meantime, there's this old man who lives in Jerusalem who Luke tells us is righteous and devout. And he also tells us that this man, Simeon, verse 25, is waiting. You see that there? He's waiting for the consolation of Israel. Now, that's a word we don't use very often, but I love that word, consolation. Consolation means the hope of deliverance, the hope of deliverance. So Simeon is waiting faithfully and patiently for God to come and rescue and deliver his people. And this is really important. He has been waiting for this for decades, for his whole life, really. Simeon here really represents all of God's faithful people. You know, large portions of life as a Christian simply are filled with waiting, with waiting on God. That's what Simeon has been doing. And so the Holy Spirit orchestrates that here at the very end of Simeon's life, Simeon will get to meet the Messiah. The person he has been waiting for his whole life, although he might not have known that it would take the form of a little baby boy born in Bethlehem. He's going to meet the hope of God's people before he dies. And that's what happens here in our story. He goes to the temple one day and notice that the Holy Spirit is very active in verses 25 through 27. He's mentioned three times. He's putting this whole thing together. It's not that Simeon just sort of randomly showed up. The Holy Spirit is upon him, we read, and takes him to the temple. And when he gets to the temple, he gets to see and to hold little one-month-old Jesus. And as he has Jesus in his arms before his mother Mary and his father Joseph, Simeon sings this song of blessing to God, which is known as the Nunc Dimittis, which is the Latin for now let us depart, the first couple of words in the song. He sings this song to God, blessing God the Father. So the Spirit orchestrates this entire thing. And Simeon says, now I can die in peace. I want you to get um, the pathos of this scene, the, the emotional depth of this scene. This guy has been waiting his entire life, longing his entire life for peace and for hope to appear. And at the very end of his life, he gets to see it. And more than that, he gets to literally touch it, touch him, hold him, baby Jesus, in his arms and sing him a song. We read there in 33 that Joseph and Mary marveled. They marveled at this. And we should marvel at it too, I think. And here's part of the reason why. Listen, part of the universal human experience is that we are all waiting on something. Whether you know it or not, you right now are waiting on God to change something in your life. And so maybe a good it's a good thing to ask yourself, what is it that you're waiting for? Maybe it's for your spouse to change. Maybe it's for a child to change. Maybe you're waiting for a new boss or for your old boss to change, like radically. Maybe you're waiting for a new job or for your old job to change radically. Maybe you're waiting for health. Maybe you're waiting for an end to the sorrow that you're, you feel. Maybe you're waiting for forgiveness for a restored relationship. You know, I would argue that what is really going on in all of these situations is that we are waiting on God. We are all waiting on God 
in the midst of a life that, if we're going to tell the truth, is often difficult and disappointing and frustrating. Christmas is partly about acknowledging that waiting. You know, we remember what that's like from when we were children, right? Remember what Christmas Eve was like when you were a kid? Christmas Eve lasted like 400 hours, right? And I remember very, very clearly a couple times when I was, you know, 8, 10, 12, I would just sit and stare at the clock by my bed. And of course, we know what happens. That makes it go even slower. Tick, tock, tick, tock. The longest nights of your life as a kid are Christmas Eve. You're waiting, you're expectant, and time seems to slow down. Kids would torture themselves like that, watching the clocks as they waited. Well, the beautiful and comforting truth of this passage and really of the whole Christmas story is that the Savior, the hope, the joy that we are all waiting for, and that manifests itself in so many different ways, that hope has come in Jesus. He is the consolation. The consolation that Simeon was longing for and the consolation that all of us in our various and manifold ways are longing for as well. Seeing and meeting Jesus allowed Simeon at the end of his waiting to die in peace. It allowed Simeon to have hope. It allowed Simeon consolation. Listen, seeing and meeting Jesus will allow you to die in peace, to have hope and consolation in your waiting. Now, that's not to say that if you become a Christian, God is going to come and fix all of your problems immediately. That's not what happens necessarily. But it is to say that in the midst of your longing, in the midst of your waiting, in the midst of what is often a difficult, challenging, and frustrating life, the God of the universe in Jesus is with you, with you on the path, with you on the way, dwelling in your midst in the sadness and in the pain and in the waiting. He promises us in Christmas that he is the great consolation that all of our hearts are longing for. The deepest longings and most desperate desires of our lives and of our hearts are met and satisfied in Jesus. When you know Jesus and the life he brings, the Christmas message is this, that you have real consolation, even in your waiting. Jesus is consolation. Simeon also sings that Jesus is salvation. Look at what the song says. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. Why? Verse 30. For or because my eyes have seen your salvation. Now that is a stunning statement. I mean, think about it again. Picture it in your minds. When Simeon holds little baby Jesus in his old arms, there in the outer courts of the temple in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, he, according to the scripture, is holding in his arms the salvation of the universe, the salvation of the world, his own salvation. Simeon can look at Jesus and say, God, I have seen your salvation. Don't miss it. Because Simeon sees Jesus, Simeon sees salvation. Salvation is in Jesus. Jesus is salvation. It is found in him and nowhere else. 
That is the heart of what we call the gospel as Christians, the good news, the message of what God has done for the world in Jesus. And it's the heart of Simeon's song. And so let's ask real briefly, how is it? How is it that Jesus is salvation? How can Simeon say when he looks at Jesus, I've seen this baby and therefore I have seen salvation? Well, there's multiple ways to come at that. And Simeon certainly didn't have a full understanding of what he was saying as the Holy Spirit put these words in his heart. But we do have a fuller understanding because we stand at the other end of the story. We know how the story of Jesus ends. And here's how we can summarize what Simeon means when he says, I have seen your salvation. When we see Jesus, we see salvation because Jesus gives us what is his and takes what is ours. Jesus gives us what is his and takes what is ours. Maybe the best verse in the entire Bible to summarize that point is found in the Apostle Paul's letter to the Corinthians, his second letter, 2 Corinthians 5.21. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him, him is Jesus, God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So how is Jesus' salvation? Jesus is salvation in that he takes all of our sin. He takes all that is ours. He takes the darkness of our lives. He takes the selfishness and the wickedness of our lives. He takes the pride that we all live in, the anger that we feel, the hatred that infests us. All of these things that deserve God's displeasure, Jesus takes He takes the judgment, he takes the penalty for all of our terrible thoughts and words and actions on the cross when he dies. Now, we deserve to die for these things. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. That is what sin deserves. But Jesus died instead. Jesus is salvation because he takes what is ours, the penalty and the guilt of our sin at the cross. He became sin who knew no sin. And then the verse says that we become his righteousness. So Jesus is salvation in that he takes all that is ours and then he gives us all that is his, all of his good, all of his holiness, all of his righteousness, all of his kindness and love and peace. Those things are transferred over to us. Jesus is salvation. And Jesus alone is salvation because in Jesus' death, 100% of our badness, 100% of our guilt and shame and condemnation is taken by Jesus and paid for. And 100% of his goodness and righteousness and honor and glory is given by Jesus to us, free of charge. That's the good news. That's what happens at the cross. Jesus is salvation because he takes our sin away and then gives us his perfection and purity so that we are no longer identified by the misdeeds and misbehaviors and misspoken words that seem to dominate our past and our present. No, we are now identified, if we believe this to be true, by what is holy and beautiful in him. Listen, if you're looking for salvation in any place or person other than Jesus Christ, you will not find it. Um, We all know, I think, deep down, 
Some of us might not quite be ready to see or admit this, I think, but we all know deep down, Christian or not, that we need saving, that we need salvation. We all know that we have problems, you see. We know that we have, we have shame for things that we have done or spoken. We know that we have guilt for errors and failures, right? We know that we have brokenness in our hearts and in our relationships. We know something's wrong. We know we think things we don't want anyone else to know about. We all know that. You know that. I know that. If you aren't a Christian, perhaps the Holy Spirit is revealing to you, maybe in a more powerful way than ever right now, that that's true. It's true for you. The only way to be rid of those feelings, of the reality of guilt, of that past shame, of your present thoughts that make you want to hide, the only way to be rid of those things is to let Jesus take them all away for you. And he will do it. That's why he came. He has done it. All you have to believe is that he has done it. He will give you a completely new identity. He promises you that he will rescue you from all of those very real problems and pains. That is, that is why he was born. And he's asking you to trust that. He's asking you to accept that offer. Jesus is salvation. Simeon sings about it. Can we sing about it in our hearts this morning? Jesus' consolation, Jesus' salvation. Finally, Simeon sings that Jesus is light. Look at 31 and 32. My eyes have seen your salvation. You prepared in the presence of all the peoples a light, a light for revelation for the Gentiles and a light for glory to your people Israel. So Jesus, or Simeon is differentiating salvation here into two broad categories. Jesus is salvation in that he is light for the Gentiles and light of, a light of glory for Israel. Now, in the Bible, if you're not familiar with the Bible, you should know this. If you are familiar with the Bible, you might know this. Light is a big metaphor. I mean, you see the idea of light all over the Bible. Um, it refers usually to God himself and to the salvation that God brings. For example, Psalm 27.1 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? John chapter 8 says that Jesus is the light of life. John chapter 1 says Jesus is the light of the world that has overcome the darkness. Those, those who have trusted in Jesus, people that we call Christians, according to 1 Peter, have been called out of darkness into his glorious, what? Light, Right? Ephesians chapter 5 tells us that salvation is like being woken up from sleep and having the light, the light of Christ shine on us. Light is a super important theme in the Bible, and when we see it, it usually means that a person is sort of being woken up for the first time to the reality of what the gospel is, to the reality of what Jesus has done. Marianne uh, gave me an illustration this week because I was thinking about this and talking about this with her a little bit, uh, illustration for light. So this has been approved by Marianne. Um, Marianne's my wife, and she was telling me about when we first got engaged and she had an engagement ring on for the first time, and you know, uh, she would be going about her daily business or in an elevator and kind of looking at the engagement ring, looking at the diamond, thinking about how lovely her fiancé is. And <laughs> Why do you laugh at that part? And uh, seeing the light reflected off of the diamond and everybody else in the elevators, you know, doing their thing. But she was sort of just captivated by the light, the light that she saw through this 
amazing, beautiful diamond that her wonderful fiance had gotten for her. And um, it, it, it's really kind of a picture of, of what happens when you kind of understand what Jesus did. When you begin to understand the Christmas story, when you, when you come to faith in Christ, you're sort of captivated by this new light that you're sort of seeing for the first time. And the things that used to occupy your thoughts and your, your heart and your, your mindset, they're not quite as powerful anymore. They're not quite as prominent anymore. You're just, you've been captured. You've been captured by something else. That's, that's the idea here when we read that Jesus is the light. He is the light of life, the light of the world. And the main idea to get is that this light, listen, this light is available for anyone and everyone. That would have been a stunning thing for Simeon to sing right outside of a Jewish temple 2,000 years ago in the middle of Israel. He says Jesus came to be light, not just for Israel, but a light of revelation for the Gentiles, for everyone else. That's the crucial point. The free forgiveness and the new life offered through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is available for any who will embrace his work for you by faith. For any who will recognize that they are sinners in need and that Jesus in his birth has offered rescue and pardon for free. For any who can see the marvelous grace of our loving God, the grace that has appeared in Jesus Christ, salvation will come. It's available to all. Andrew Walls, is a, he's a great historian, a world historian of Christianity and of how Christianity has spread throughout the world over the past number of centuries. And one point that he makes in a good bit of his writing is that Christianity of all of the world religions is um, the most malleable religion. And what he means by that is this. Only Christianity is a religion that is practiced and grown in widely different cultures and parts of the world. So most world religions are only grown in a certain culture. For example, Islam is always been a part of the Arab culture, right? It started in that world and it still largely remains in that world. Hinduism is an Indian religion. It started on that subcontinent and by and large remains on that subcontinent. But Christianity is different. Christianity is malleable. It's flexible. It's able to start and grow and flourish in any culture. I think that's an amazing point. Part of the reason that that's the case is because Christianity is addressing a universal human condition. And the universal human condition that it addresses is that we are all in darkness and we all need light. The light of salvation, the light of life, the light of hope. Leonard Cohen, the great singer-songwriter, has written, there's a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. There's a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. You see, Christmas is the story of light coming in to our cracked lives and bringing hope, bringing consolation, bringing salvation. Are you in the darkness this Christmas? Do you feel hopeless? Do you feel like you're waiting for a train that's never going to come? Can you begin to believe this morning, perhaps, that your waiting and that your longing has a resting place in the coming of Jesus, the consolation of Israel, 
the salvation of the world, the light of life. He has come for you no matter where you are. He offers himself freely to you as your consolation, as your salvation, as your light. Step out of the darkness and receive him. Let's pray. Our God, we love you and we thank you that you have sent your son, Jesus. You sent him into our world, into our story to fill the deep hole of hope that is in all of our hearts. You sent him into our world and into our story to bring rest and peace to our lives, which are tossed all over the place by the waves that seem to hit us. You have sent him to be a light to those of us who walk in the darkness. And Father, we pray this morning that by your grace, we would see the light, that we would see what Christmas truly means, that you have not run away from us when we run away from you, but no, you've chased us down. You've pursued us desperately because you're gracious and kind and loving. And because you have pursued us in Jesus, we have the opportunity to be pardoned of all the things that hold our lives back from flourishing. We have the opportunity to start again with a new life and a new identity. We have the opportunity to walk in an illumined light world. So Father, help us to do that this morning, whether we've received Jesus for the first time recently or whether we've known him for years or whether we don't know him and want to know him. God, help us. Help us to understand why Jesus came why it's meaningful to us, and why he is the only hope that any of us have. We pray these things in his name. Amen.